Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. The Fed raised interest rates to the highest level in 22 years. The benchmark Fed funds rate was lifted to five and a half percent from five and a quarter. Fed chair Jay Powell said that additional hikes will depend on incoming data. We're going to be going meeting by meeting. And uh, as we go into each meeting, we're going to be asking ourselves the same question. So we haven't made any decisions about, about any future meetings, including the pace at which we'd consider hiking. But we're going to be assessing the need for uh, further tightening that may be appropriate. You, you read the language to return inflation to 2% over time. It is certainly possible that we would raise funds again at the September meeting if the data warranted. it. And he also said that the future data could justify holding interest rates steady at that meeting. He said the Fed would also take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy. And he added that the FOMC will assess how the lags affect economic activity and inflation. We heard from Meta Platforms after the bell. The company reported better than expected revenue for the second quarter, and it gave a rosy forecast for the current quarter. Meta saying that sales will be between 32 to $34.5 billion. That's above analysts projections. It seems to be a sign Meta is succeeding in migrating advertisers to its short-form video service called Reels. Meta has been betting on Reels as a way of drawing more attention to its social networks. Meta also recently introduced a competitor to Twitter. It's called Threads. The company is hoping it will boost business longer term. We heard from Scott Kessler earlier. He's at Third Bridge. I think a lot of people are really interested to see progress when it comes to Reels and then monetization plans as it pertains uh, to threads, particularly as we're in the summer now, but soon enough, folks are going to be planning for the holiday shopping season. There's a great opportunity uh, for Meta to do something with threads along those lines. Scott Kessler there over at Third Bridge. By the way, Meta is also investing heavily in artificial intelligence, and it's using the technology to make recommendations for both content and advertising. The hope here is for both to be more tailored to the interest of users. And right now, if you look at Meta shares in late trading, higher by nearly 8%. Brian? The Pentagon is seeking new supply of a mineral that's used in semiconductors and military radar systems that would be denied by China. Let's get the story from Bloomberg's Ann Cates. The Pentagon plans to issue a first-time contract to U.S. or Canadian companies by year-end to recover gallium after China curbed exports this month. The Pentagon does not have reserves of gallium and wants to focus on recovering the mineral from existing waste streams of other products. Gallium is used in Navy radar on vessels for air and missile defense and by the Army and Marines in ground-based radar. In Washington, Ann Cates, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. We go to Volkswagen next. The company is planning to invest $700 million U.S in the Chinese EV maker Xpeng. We have more from Bloomberg's Joanne Wong in Hong Kong. 
Volkswagen said it would jointly develop EVs in China with Xpeng, and with the investment, it'll hold about a 5% stake in the Chinese company. Two new battery-powered models are being planned. The first is due to arrive in 2026. Volkswagen's EV sales in China dipped in the first half of this year, in a market that grew 20%. In Hong Kong, I'm joined Wang Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Meantime, the CEO of Stellantis, Carlos Tavares, says he is happy to be downsizing in China. He said Volkswagen, along with General Motors and other foreign car makers, are under pressure as local competitors slash prices. Brian? Yeah, not just the foreign uh, makers, but listen to this one. China's Evergrande NEV has reported $11.7 billion of losses that were cumulative over the past two years. Bloomberg's Bonnie Ao has the story from Hong Kong. The EV unit suffered a net loss of close to $4 billion last year and nearly double that the year before. The company also warned of its ability to continue as a going concern. The Evergrande unit had initially aimed to take on Tesla and at one time had a greater market value than Ford Motor. But it was swept up in a debt crisis that engulfed its parent. The company said it delivered about 1,000 vehicles from October through May. It was originally targeting 1 million units by the end of 2025. The company said it's negotiating with banks about renewing existing borrowings and corporate bonds that will mature by the end of the year. In Hong Kong, I'm Bonnie Ao, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis here in Hong Kong, along with Doug Krisner and our colleague Rashad Salama will join us uh, in a, a few moments. Uh, so, Doug, just looking here at the Fed decision today, uh, I think the focus will switch pretty quickly to earnings. But anyway, uh, from the meeting, it seems like the Fed is just buying some time here, hoping or waiting to see if the data eventually backs up what most markets are assuming that the Fed is getting pretty close to the end of the hiking cycle. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the swaps market right now indicating there's only a 50% probability of one more 25 basis point hike between, let's say, now and the end of the year. And I thought one of the most hawkish things that I heard today, Brian, is Powell saying he doesn't see inflation returning to the Fed's 2% goal until 2025. That's a long time away. Yeah, that's that's one of his theories, uh, and that has been, I think, in the market. Uh, he's been pushing that line. Uh, there are plenty of, uh, of Fed policymakers, though, that are looking at possibly seeing some Fed cuts next year. Uh, and it was also telling when he was asked the question about, do you keep on hiking all the way down to 2%? And he more or less said no. Um, and that, that, that getting that balance right is really what the, uh, the, the, the sort of uh, decision will be, is when do they start adjusting uh, as they see inflation coming down? Yeah, and Fed staff not predicting a recession at this point. That's a bit of a change. And so Powell seems to support the idea that the Fed can be successful in engineering a soft landing. Yeah, we've got Dennis Lockhart, the former president of the Fed Bank of Atlanta, coming up to discuss this. And of course, as mentioned, the focus really will switch back to earnings uh, quite aggressively during uh, this very busy period. And we'll get you more on that all throughout the morning. Now it's time for global news. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is continuing to take aim at China's global ambitions. Ed Baxter has global news from the 960 Newsroom in San Francisco. Ed? Yeah, right, Brian. He's uh, the latest on Tonga and spoke in very stern terms about Beijing's military and economic ambitions. There has been some, from our perspective, increasingly problematic uh, behavior, uh, including at the same time 
the assertion of unlawful maritime claims. Yeah. Blinken says the Indo-Pacific must stand up to the blatant expansionism. Unexpected twists and turns in the Hunter Biden tax trial after an initial agreement with prosecutors to plead guilty to misdemeanor tax charges. The judge said she needed to look at how far-ranging the deal was with implication to gun charges that are still being investigated against Biden. Biden then came back to plead not guilty until the deal can be more fully examined. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre says that uh, the Biden administration has stayed clear of the whole proceeding. Hunter Biden is a private citizen, and this was a personal matter for him. As we have said, the president, the first lady, they love their son, and they support him as he continues to rebuild his life. It might be noted the outstanding tax bill has already been paid, but the issue remains political. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. There shouldn't be two justice systems in America, and hopefully today that's what's being done. And Bloomberg's Julie Fine with Balance of Power's Joe Matthew says useful for Republicans. Evidence or not, whatever they do, they get to keep the issue alive. And it's alive during a campaign. <laughs> evidence or not, this is, this is Washington today. Yeah, so we're ready for another year. Taiwan's Foreign Minister Joseph Wu says China has been stepping up what he calls cognitive warfare leading up to the election. He says China's trying to influence people into thinking that the U.S. is not trustworthy. Well, Wu cites conspiracy theories that the U.S. wants to ruin Taiwan's semiconductor industry. Wu tells Bloomberg China that China is trying to play a role in the election and that, quote, I think they should try their own democratic elections inside China. As Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell started a news conference at the Capitol day, he abruptly stopped and froze in place for about 20 seconds. It's been good bipartisan cooperation and a string of... Now, his aides led him away after about 20 seconds, but he returned minutes later to say he was fine. His aides refused to answer questions. McConnell earlier this year suffered a concussion and a broken rib because of a fall at a fundraiser. He was off work for about a month. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis here in Hong Kong, along with Rashad Salamat in London. And joining us now is Dennis Lockhart, former president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, to take a closer look at the Fed decision. Mr. Lockhart, thanks very much for being with us. So a very highly anticipated result today, really not all that much new. Uh, What did you find the most telling in Chair Powell's comments? I thought he... (laughs) He didn't uh, tell us a lot new, quite frankly. It was yeah. uh, he repeated he repeated the mantra that we've heard many times before, and that is meeting by meeting, 
data dependent, uh, no preordained or predetermined uh, path or pace. Um, this was, to me, quite frankly, uh, a ho-hum press conference and, and result of the meeting. The 25 basis point move, as you pointed out, was very highly anticipated. And he kept his options open. He really didn't commit uh, or even give guidance as to what would happen at the September meeting or the October-November meeting. Uh, Mr. Lockhart, he has a lot to contend with in the sense he's got pressure from all different sides. What would you have said? Well, I, I, let me let me throw uh, Jay Powell a bouquet. I think he speaks in simple and straightforward terms, a very pragmatic kind of tone to what he has to say. It's not technical. He doesn't sound all that much like a central banker. And I thought he communicated well the situation therein, and, and that is that they've had some encouraging inflation data, but relatively recently, and it's not enough to bank on. And they are simply going to proceed and let the data tell them what the situation is. He did point out in the press conference that they will receive a number of reports between today and the September meeting, which will mean they'll have a little bit more of a rich set of data to look at and that could help them determine what they want to do either at that meeting or at the October-November meeting. In some ways, it's it's actually very uh, convenient that they've got eight weeks here. Normally, they have six weeks in between meetings, but this one stretches on a little bit, and it gives them a lot more data to look at. And the comment that I made to my colleague Doug Krisner earlier was that it would seem that the Fed uh, assumes it's going to get data that will back up what both the bond and stock market seem to be anticipating, and that is that they're getting pretty close to the end of the hiking cycle. Yes, but I think as you pointed out earlier uh, in the uh, early part of the program, um, it, and this was a, to some extent news, I think, or a little bit surprising, he he said that their current projections suggest that they're not going to reach the target until 2025. And that that could therefore spell a, uh, a fall all of 2024 uh, with rates remaining at their current level or higher. So um, that that was a little bit of an insight into their thinking. Uh, the other thing that I thought was was important in in Chair Powell's commentary was that he uh, emphasized that they're not going to necessarily wait for a final outcome. In other words, hitting 2%, uh, the, the ultimate target, they're going to anticipate. They're going to be looking forward and either pausing or even conceivably cutting yeah. in anticipation. That, that, yeah, yeah, that, that was an that's interesting what I, comment, I thought. That's what I tried to say to Doug. I don't think it came out uh, quite as intended. But, you know, the Fed, he, he mentioned that they are not going to hike interest rates all the way up until you get to the target, because at some point you see that the process is there. And, you know, if you go all the way to 2 percent, that you will have gone too far. And he said that in the meeting. So uh, the inflation getting to 2 percent will happen after the Fed, well after the Fed stops hiking rates. And I think he did put that pretty well in the in the briefing. 
Yeah, but it does it does beg the question: How will they become convinced that the path is is pretty certain to two percent? And uh, again, I think sometimes the markets look at a shorter list of criteria than the Fed does. I, I think the Fed is going to look for a series of consistent disinflationary reports that are bringing the year-over-year as well as other measures of inflation down toward target and, you know, no anomalous reports, but clearly month after month progress. And that, that suggests it may take some time before they are that convinced. Mr. Lockett, why is the whole medicine taking so long to actually act? I mean, this this seems to be much longer than it would do normally. That's one part of my question. And, you know, just going to, and uh, I don't want to be flippant here, but, you know, we could see a, that we're going through a disinflationary moment. Could it be disinflationary uh, in a transient sense, as it were? Yes, I mean, there has been the fear of transient disinflation or transitory disinflation, using the T word that everybody um, wanted to distance themselves from a year or so ago, uh, that, that a, a sort of false dawn from a point of view of, of disinflation. You can't rule that out because there can be global shocks that affect uh, prices and some of the prices in particularly energy and food are uh, terribly important to the ultimate inflation result. So you really can't rule that out. Um, the go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say uh, another interesting line was that he's still pretty confident that they can pull off a so-called soft landing. And he was asked by uh, one of the participants about what the staff's view was. And he said, well, the staff, you know, is very different from the FOMC policymakers, but they, too, now are not calling for a recession. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that is interesting because we don't see necessarily right away. We see in the minutes, three weeks from now, what the staff projection is. And in the last two meetings, I believe, the staff have actually projected or forecast a mild recession later this year. Yeah. And that is that was not aligned with what the chair was saying or what most of the FOMC members were saying. Uh, apparently, they've pulled back on that. Uh, you didn't answer the they, first they part. Being, the staff has pulled back yeah. on that. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Lockhart, you didn't answer the first part of my question. Is that Why is it taking so long to see the effects of tighter monetary policy? It seems unusual. Well, I think... Um, we, first, we have a resilient economy. That's the term that's used so often, meaning that there's qu quite a bit of strength. Um, and the most important factor in my mind is that we ha we're in a full, full employment state with the demand for labor exceeding the supply of labor. And therefore, uh, workers have confidence in their uh, earnings outlook and their, empl their employment prospects. That then leads to pretty good consumer activity because they spend money when they're sure of their future employment and the consumer activity drives the U.S. economy. So those factors, uh, I think, are, why do we have that set of circumstances? Partly it was the conditions coming out of COVID 
and then the consumers themselves were helped by fiscal policy, uh, probably some savings during the period as well. And uh, so we, we, we have this unusual labor market that we have not seen before recent years in, in which uh, almost anyone who wants a job in America can find one. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.